0: Okay. Good morning, everybody. Hope everybody's well. Welcome to the show. Hope everyone's uh, having an incredible day, incredible week. Ah, oh, another day, another opportunity to be a little better than we were yesterday. Another, another day to go a little bit deeper into who we are, to gain a drop more self awareness in what matters in life, which is really our minds, our souls. And recognizing that the life that we want is the life that's right in front of us, just we have to see it. We've been really delving into the world of happiness. And yesterday we left off speaking about the idea of gratitude. And I went through some of the research done by Emmons and McCullough, two professors, I believe one is in Miami, Michael McCullough's University of Miami, and Robert Emmons is from uh, University of California at Davis. And they did these happiness journals. They had people engage in gratitude exercises. So they had them keep journals of gratitude. And what they found really astounded them. that The people that took this seriously and kept a gratitude journal, which means they were journaling regularly. That means they took the time to think of what they're grateful for. They allowed themselves to experience the feeling of gratitude. They didn't like leave and go to like a gratitude seminar where they spent all day in gratitude meditation, right? They lived their lives. They just took a few moments to express gratitude for the things that they had. This isn't like massive life change. So just the experience of going through gratitude journaling, gratitude self-reflection for a period of time led to these incredible results that we all want. And I have them all here, and this is what they found. The people that were more grateful exercised more regularly. They reported fewer physical symptoms, felt better about their lives, felt more optimistic about the upcoming week. They were more likely to make progress towards their goals. Remember we did this a couple of weeks ago, a couple of days ago, how we think that success leads to happiness because we're like conditioned in this world that you're going to feel good at the end of the semester, at when you graduate, when you get to the next level. Like we're always waiting for the corner, whatever office. Like we always assume that success comes first and then happiness comes later when actually science shows backwards. So here it is. More likely to be make progress towards important goals. Higher levels of alertness, enthusiasm, determination, attentiveness. Look at this. this, Listen to this. The people that have engaged in this are more likely to have helped somebody with personal problems or offered emotional support. You see how, Remember, remember the self-determination theory? We spoke about how we want to be significant. We want to be connected. Well, when you put gratitude before that, It's going to allow you to be more significant progress towards meaningful goals, and it allows you to be more connected. You're more likely to offer emotional support. You're more likely to be there for somebody else. Listen to this study. Adults with neuromuscular disease, a 21-day gratitude intervention resulted in greater amounts of high energy positive moods, a greater sense of feeling connected to others, more optimistic ratings on one's life, and better sleep duration and sleep quality children who practice grateful thinking have a more positive attitude towards school and their family. So this is like, I mean, it's not shocking. It's just shocking, right? It's not, we're not like, what? I didn't know that. It's sort of, we sort of sense that this is true, right? Like this sort of feels right, but yet do you, do we put gratitude into our lives on a regular basis? which really doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? So let's analyze why this is. Let's like delve together so it's not just like a nice thing that we hear. Remember, the goal of this show really is to go from the greatest, you know, the, the, I think I heard this in the name of a Hasidic Sharebi who said the greatest distance in the world is between the head and the heart, right? It's, it's easy to understand things it's much harder to put them into your heart. So we understand that gratitude helps. Wonderful. That's amazing. That's going to do nothing for us. We're going to know it. Really, where this starts to make a difference in our lives is when we are able to put it into our hearts. We're able to like live it. And to live it, you have to have an awareness over it. So let's understand it because the more we understand it, the more this will make sense to us. As we spoke about last week and earlier in the, in the series, our minds cannot process multiple things. And if you've been with me for a while, you're like, know what I'm saying next, which is exactly what I want. Like, that's exactly what I'm hoping for, is that if someone who's been at the show long enough is like, I know where he's going. That means it's, it's trickling into our hearts. You can't think of multiple things at once. It's just not how our brain has functioned. how our brain brain functions. That's the control of the bridge that we spoke about on Sunday. Which means that you can choose what you're going to put in your mind as the pipe, like we spoke about yesterday, that'll digest the information coming at you. You can't control the outside world. You can't even control what's in your brain. What you could control is the pipe, the tunnel, the bridge, And what you know is that this thing called attention can't do multiple things at once. So if you can't do multiple things at once, what you can do is determine what you're going to focus on at any given moment. Now, over time, you may lose focus, but at any given moment, now put that to the side for a second. Let's leave out extremes, because that's hard. Like, let's just leave out extremes, like peaks and valleys. Like incredible happiness, incredible. Let's just leave out the extremes. For most of life, the world outside us is neutral. The reason why I feel the way I feel about something is because of the meaning that I give it. So, I'm sitting in front of a screen and I'm watching a game. And let's assume I'm 17. So if at, when I was 17, I mean, I if you, I had pinstripes in my blood. The Yankees were like I don't I don't I can't even describe the love I had for the Lanky. Listen, I'm not saying I don't love them now, but it's much different than I had when I was 16, 17 years old. I mean, I couldn't sit through a playoff game. I would sit at the edge of the of of my chair at a playoff game. I mean, like I was, it was serious business and the yankees won the world series if you remember hayes has room hayes makes the catch the yankees win the yankees win i was in israel for the year before cell phones we went to a pay phone me and a friend of mine and we and his father who's now he's should rest in peace my friend's father who he put the phone against the television as the yankees won the world series because we couldn't possibly not into it was whatever I'm in Israel. Israel's seven hours ahead, two in the morning, standing by a payphone. The Yankees win, crying, tears down my eyes. They beat the Braves. So if you go to me and you go back to my 17, 16 year old years and you sit in, with me in front of a screen watching the Yankees play and put, put them against the Red Sox, so make it really, really, uh, uh, really, really intense and I'm staring at the Yankee game and next to me is a friend of mine from Boston. We're both watching the same game, but the game isn't really what's causing me to feel something. The game is just a bit of stimulus that's in the outside world. What's causing me to feel something is the filter in my brain. I grew up in New York. If you couldn't tell, when I was a kid, they told me to choose between the Mets and the Yankees. I wanted to not live a life of pain, so I went with the Yankees. And I can my schema. Let's now we know the science. Let's let's delve into the science in this so we can really get it. The first time I followed the Yankees, maybe I was eight or nine. I made a connection. Those guys on the screen and me are somehow connected. I'm a fan of those guys. So in my little brain. I would watch people on the screen that had pinstripes, Don Mattingly, and I would somehow connect that to me. And in my head, there was making a connection between me and those guys. And then, I don't know, a hundred games later, transistor radio in my ear, listening every night, watching whenever I could, Sundays the ball game, Yankee Stadium, the bleachers, smelling the grass, the big, huge Yankee sign when you walk into the stadium the first time, all the feelings that a kid has when he starts to follow baseball. And those neuroconnections connections got rock solid. Coupled with the fact that I went to school in New York, most of my friends are Yankee fans. And so when I went to school and we talked about the Yankees it got stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger, right? Coupled with the fact that Boston was always our rival. I knew no one for Boston growing up. I couldn't see the other side of any story. 16-year-old kids got eight years, I don't know, 10,000 hours a year, invested in the Yankees. You open me up, I got a rock-solid connection between me and the Yankees. The Yankees aren't some team that I just learned about five minutes ago. Me and my son... um, went down to South Africa for a few days to speak at a conference um, I'm forgetting the sport they play but I'm sure you guys are going to post it on the chat what's the sport they play down there where like you throw it and you hit the pins behind them you know what I'm talking about is I forgot the name of it right now where it's a you, you there's a pitcher and he throws it and like there are pins behind the guy I don't know it's a sport that I forgot but cricket thank you I couldn't even make, we couldn't make heads or tails. Let's assume someone would have taught me cricket. I would have picked a team to go for, and I would have been like, okay, they won. But when when you're a sports fan, it's not they won, it's we won. You can't breathe, even though all you know of the Yankees is you're behind the screens. I had the opportunity to meet Mariano Rivera twice. Once in the old city of Jerusalem, I kid you not. I was walking, I spent a Shabbat there with my family. We ate at the Asia Torah Center, World Center. We walked back, I kid you not, we walked back in, in 11 o'clock at night, the old city. And I see a guy in a t-shirt and jeans and like three people around him and they're totally lost. 11 o'clock, old city, Jerusalem. And I'm like, I think that's Mariano Rivera. And my, my son's like, that's not Mariano Rivera. Like, Dad, like, dad, it's a mirage. I'm like, it's Mariano Rivera. I go up to him. It's Mariano Rivera. I'm like, Mariano, what are you doing here? He's with his family. Do you remember last summer he came? They're lost. Can I help him get to the wall? I'm like, can I help you get to the wall? Is there anything I would say no to, to Mariano Rivera? You handed me like years of joy. We walked him to the wall. I thanked him for everything. I had every one of my kids shake his hands. Mariano Rivera. And I met him again later during a business transaction, a different story. He became a part of me. He was in my family, Mariano Rivera. If you're not a sports fan, you think I'm insane. If you're a sports fan, you know exactly. Ken Winkley knows exactly what I'm talking about, right, Ken? Like, if you're not a sports fan, you know, you're, you know if, you, if, you, if you're a sports fan, you know what I'm talking about. What's happening is your brain is conditioning itself to create a filter or a schema that places itself, if you will, over your brain. It's the pipe you see this now? It's the filter to the pipe. Rob, Rob seems is on for sure. You know that as the information from the screening comes into my brain, the game, it doesn't come into my brain directly. It goes through my filter and my filter is Yankee fan. I didn't, I wasn't born a Yankee fan. If I would have grew up in South Africa. I'd be probably going for the cricket team. I conditioned the Yankees into my brain. And in conditioning the Yankees into my brain, I no longer see a game in which the Yankees are playing as meaningless. Since the Yankees lost in the, for those of you who remember this part, when the Yankees lost to the Red Sox, I took a year off and that helped me recover from this Yankee addiction, which was another speech. But understand that when the information came into my brain, it came in through this filter called Yankee fan. So sitting and watching a game wasn't, The stimulus, the game was meaningless. It doesn't mean anything, a game. What's meaningful is what the game means through me and my filter. That's why when the guy next to me, who was a Boston fan, saw the game, he had the opposite reaction. We could be best friends. And it could be a ground ball that just misses the glove of the shortstop. And I can jump up and be happy and he can be upset. It's not the stimulus that's getting us. It's the reaction. It's the filtering system. His filtering system was guys in different uniforms. It's not even the players that we like. It's just whatever they're wearing. If the guy gets straight to the Red Sox, I hate the guy. Whoever's wearing a Yankee uniform, I don't care who it is. It could be like the you know Jeter's grandmother. I don't care. She's playing the game. I love her. And then my wife comes in, who isn't a baseball fan. She sits down, which she wouldn't. But she, if she's seen the game, she's going, what are you guys going crazy about? Right, You can take three people, and they're both looking at the same thing. They're both experiencing reality, but they're having very distinct experiences because the reality in front of us is meaningless. It's us that give it meaning. That's how life works. We're giving meaning to the world around us. So when I go and look at a newspaper, as this happened many times in my life, where I'm sitting at work in front of colleagues that aren't Jewish, and something that comes up in the paper on Israel, and I'm like totally thrown by it. And he's like, what's the big deal? I'm like, you don't have Israel in your schema. I do. Something takes place in the state of Israel. I don't care if I don't know the guy. I'm thrown to a nice Gentile who grew up in wherever. He, he could be pro-Israel. He's not he doesn't have the same schema as a kid who grew up in a Zionist school who sang for his whole life, who's been watching Israeli news, whose parents told him as a kid, we only vote for who's good for Israel. And my, my scheme is different. You know, that doesn't just apply in politics and sports, it applies in life. So for my grandmother, she should rest in peace, who grew up on a farm without running water, she walks into America and she's like, wait, there's running water here. There's electricity. You know when my grandmother explained to me what a New York what, what a cop is, do you have any idea what it was like for my grandmother to meet a cop? When she grew up, cops sent her to the gas chambers. She saw a cop down the street, she would shake. When the cop helped her when she was 17, 18 years old, find her way, give her a quarter to make a phone call, and the cop was there for her and he was a A a source of comfort for my grandmother. She was like, I can't believe America has people that are helping them. Like, her schema expected nothing from this world. She didn't grow up with more conveniences than anyone in history. And when, you know, Wi Fi goes down, she's melting because how am I going to connect with the world? She, she couldn't believe life would ever give her grandchildren an electricity and television. She couldn't believe that there was kosher food available in a restaurant. She couldn't believe that you can have a shul. She couldn't believe that she was going to be at the bar mitzvah of her grandson, let alone her great-grandson. Her schema said nothing is given. Nothing that you get in your life you can guarantee it wasn't that she was a Yankee fan. It was that her schema said whatever is out there is not necessarily something you can depend on. So when you get anything, that feels great. So the difference between the guy watching the Yankees and the Red Sox is just the same as difference between someone who expects the world to cow to them because they never knew hardship, because mom and dad handed everything, because they were born with more resources than their friends, because they're used to life being the way it's supposed to be, because a million things. When we talk about gratitude, we have to understand the context text is that what gratitude is doing is gratitude is a way to get us to appreciate the little things in life without having to lose them first. That's the, the, the greatness of gratitude. You don't have to go through suffering to appreciate the things you have. Hopefully with God's help, Andy, remind me to tomorrow, talk about the work of Irving Ya'alom. Remind me, Andy. Irving Ya'alom and, his, and the study he did on people with uh, cancer, Credible work. People that go through challenges all of a sudden appreciate life. Why? Because their brains chain their, change their filtering system. People that have challenge go, wait, what, what did I take for granted? Why am I getting involved with stupidity? Why do we gotta wait for challenge? So we have this pill, it's called gratitude. And what gratitude does is it starts to condition our brains the way an eight year old would condition to build, like the Yankees, the way someone would condition to love the state, you start to condition your brains, our brains to look at everything in this world and say, oh my gosh. I'm so appreciative for this thing. And what that does is it starts to clean the filter so that everything that I engage in, I enjoy. It's an amazing concept. Can you imagine waking up in the morning and opening up your eyes and being blown away that you can see? Can you imagine that? Who who, who does that? You know who does that? People that God forbid had eyesight issues. How good did, you, I, I don't know for those of you who experienced uh, the blackout. The second that we got, though, that lights back. The, for the first 35 seconds, the feeling of power. How good did it feel? And I tried that night to turn the lights off in my house. I'll tell you the last thing then I'll let you go, just to show you how hard I tried. I, that night, I told my wife, "Let's do the following for dinner. Let's turn the lights off and turn the AC off." For like five minutes so it gets hot and, and dark so that when we put the lights back on the kids can appreciate it. Cause I was upset the kids didn't appreciate the turn on the blackout because our power went on like at two o'clock. If it had went on, if it had went on like eleven o'clock at night, it'd been like a it would have been a little holiday in my house. But it went on like at two in the afternoon. The kids were in camp, they came home, it was on. I, I missed the chance, right? I tried to turn the AC on. It was like a mutiny in my house. No, not the AC. I'm like, guys, you know, two minutes ago, you're like, no, cause it's so hot. I'm like I tried, my exercise didn't work. Nobody cares. Think about the joy of losing and getting it back and saying, why do I have to lose to enjoy life? Gratitude. Okay, we'll continue this. Thanks so much for uh, being here today. Thanks so much for tuning in. God's help. I cannot wait to see you again tomorrow.